0: Mac Power Users, Episode 176, Everyday Automation. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you? I had a weird experience at work this week. Oh, really? What was it? Somebody said, hey, Katie Floyd. (laughs) <laughs> and I really? just froze. Really? Yes. And I thought, who is doing this? Yeah. D- don't, do they know? Do they know something? Yeah. Did they? I don't think so.
1: Okay. I don't think well, I, don't,
0: I don't. think they know about my secret life.
1: I think some of our more rambunctious listeners now have come to write an email to Katie and David Sparks, which oh, I think okay, I have to admire, of kind of. <laughs> and I'm still getting a lot of Max Barkey, yeah. which is kind of crazy. That's fine. I love making this podcast so much. It's I, yeah.
0: it's therapeutic in so many levels.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I the day job's got just way too much crazy involved. I was just driving home tonight. It's so excited about talking about podcasting. Well, you I'm know, such a geek.
0: Since you love making the show so much, David, maybe we should do it more often.
1: Yeah, we actually have an announcement.
0: We we do have an announcement, and yeah. um, and that is we are doing a new show, kind of. Sort of. Sort of. A little bit.
1: Well. We're we're adding a fifth rail. We're doing we're doing a fifth show a month, and it's going to be called uh, Mac Power Users Live. I guess we're going to do it every sure. the first Sat. Yeah, it's going to be the first Saturday of every month at 10 a.m. So we have a set show and or
0: or one just- p.m. Depending on where you live, it's going to be at 10 a.m. At- Pacific, one p.m. Eastern time.
1: Yes, and I guess I should just back up a little bit. So we have a, a constant problem on our show that we get tons of great feedback from listeners. And 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 questions.
0: I mean people ask us questions all the time for technical support and what would you do? And hey, I've got this situation. How would you solve this problem?
1: Or they give us solutions to problems we aren't really talking about at the time. And we have this other problem that we can't talk we can't seem to keep our show short enough to put in feedback at the end of the show. And frankly by then it's hard to get into feedback mode because you're so into the topic of the day. So we've decided once a month we are going to do an MPU live show where we're going to go through feedback. We're going to have a chat room that's more active. I mean, that's one of the things I've always regretted is not being able to actively use the chat room because the nature of our show is so focused on the subject of that show or the guest that I just find it impossible to follow the chat room at the same time. So we're going to do that. You know, we're going to have a chat room. We're going to have some of our listeners come on live and talk about stuff. Uh, We always really enjoy the anniversary shows, like the 100th show and 150th show. So we're going to kind of have an element of listener workflows into it. We haven't got all the, you know, nitty gritty solved and how exactly we're going to do everything. but
0: It's a work in progress. Can we call the first couple shows maybe beta shows? No. No, okay.
1: It's going to be in the same feed, so nothing changes. Just you're going to get a fifth show every month from us. And it's going to be recorded the first Saturday of the month at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. So if you're around on Saturday and you want to join some geeks, come on in and maybe we'll even get you on the show. So it, I think it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. And so what we what we want you to do, basically, the show is going to be question, answers, tips, trips, feedback, all that kind of stuff. But to, to help us especially seed these first couple shows and, and really throughout, and we may tweak this in later shows, but... We really want you to send in questions and specifically audio questions and audio comments for the show. Keep them short, keep them brief, um, and preferably don't include anything we have to edit out there. Uh, So don't include your email address or anything like that in the questions, but send in your questions and audio comments to feedback at macpowerusers.com. And you can do this, you know, the iPhone recording app on on your iPhone is a great uh, voice recorder where you can record and then immediately email from your iPhone. So that's a great way to do it if you don't already have a mic and, and set up and all that. It doesn't need to be fancy.
1: Yeah, and when's the first one, so, Katie? When's
0: the first show? Okay, the first one is, the first show is going to be the very first Saturday in March, which happens to be March 1st. So Saturday, March 1st, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, live on 5x5. Send in your questions and audio comments in advance. Feedback at MacPowerUsers.com.
1: I'm very excited about this. I hope you are too.
0: Yeah, and we're going to keep doing the regular shows. They're going to keep showing up in the feed. And this this show will probably show up two or three, four days after in the in the feed itself because we got to get it edited down, but um, yeah. So let's talk about exciting everyday automation.
1: Yeah. So why should we care about this automation stuff?
0: Because automation is magical.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a geek thing, but I also think it's helpful for everyone. I, I I remember when I was a kid, my neighbor had the game mousetrap, and I don't. Did they have mousetrap in your days? Yes, yeah, so was... we had mousetrap. Yeah, so I, we never played the game, but we had so much fun just setting up the mousetrap and setting it off. And I always felt like automation is is touching kind some kind of spot in me that it, it brings back those mousetrap days where I have things that just happen in my life. But I also think there's there's kind of a bigger picture thing about automation in that to the extent you can use all these electronic bits in your life to automate things, you can turn. You know, routine and a habit and you can take your mind off things that you used to have to worry about. And I'm always about trying to kind of tune up the machine of my life because I'm dreadfully overcommitted and every little bit of help I can get is appreciated. So, uh, So I've kind of hacked together some tricks and tips and things I use in my life for automating. We actually were thinking about you know, doing a, a MacWorld session on this, <laughs> but, um <laughs> but we're going to do the Mac power users uh show instead, which is going to be even more fun, but uh I, so I'm this sure the be... Mac
0: power user session will include some automation stuff just because, you yeah, know, we yeah. are the Mac power users, but anyway.
1: Yeah. But I, I thought it would be fun to kind of share kind of a hodgepodge of some of our favorite tricks for automation. A little bit of this will overlap some prior episodes, but most of it is going to show us the time tested automation tips we're using and maybe, That'll give you some thought for your own life or maybe give you some ideas to call in for the MPU live show.
0: All right. Well, let's let's talk about um, we got a couple of categories that we're going to cover here, and this is probably our biggest and our broadest. So it may take us a while to cover this, but let's talk in general about automating for productivity, because that's the reason that most people automate is they want to be pr- more productive. And so when I talk about automating for productivity, I'm talking more about getting work done, getting tasks completed, making your life simpler as you're doing things uh, through automation. And I know you've set up a lot of automation just to help you get stuff done in your day job.
1: Yeah, I, I really need it to get through. Uh, we did a whole show on Keyboard Maestro, and I would recommend we did going back and... two whole shows
0: on Keyboard Maestro. That's
1: right. But the mo- more recent one, I think, is is probably the one you'd want to listen to. But I, have, I just have so much appreciation for Keyboard Maestro as a way to solve little uh, repeatable problems. One of the things, for instance, is in California... Uh, there's a, a very well-known publication called the Daily Journal that lawyers read every day, and I I try to keep up with it to see what's new in my my day job. Uh, but I always forget to read it. I used to get the subscription subscri- uh the pa- the paper copy sent to me, but of course I missed paper paperless, and that always made me crazy. Uh, about a year ago, I switched to an all digital subscription, but then the problem is without having that thing thrown on your desk every day. Uh, you come in and you get on doing other things and you don't go to the website and check in and you'll be surprised how quickly you'll go two or three weeks without reading it. Well, I need to do that. So I set up a keyboard maestro operation for that. So when I show up for work and my Mac sees that I've joined my work's Wi-Fi network, it opens Safari and opens the Daily Journal on my desk and I get to read it. First thing in the morning, it just shows up on my desktop. sounds silly, but that type of automation really kind of helps me get through that.
0: Now, is the Daily Journal an app or how does it get on your desktop it's, for Safari, it, for uh, it, it, Keyboard a, Meister to open it? It's a website. Oh, okay. Gotcha. gotcha. So
1: I just opened to the website and it's got my credentials saved. So it goes to the front page and uh, it's, it's one of these things, but when you subscribe to it, they don't. It's not like they send you daily content. They have a website that's got a paywall in front of it. So it just logs me in, and then I can fiddle around at their website. I do some other things with the Keyboard Maestro every morning. I open OmniFocus. I open Apple Mail. I open a daily text file. You know, I always keep running. I always have a just a, a file open to keep text as I'm going through the day, and I add text to that with the keyboard and with dictation and any other method I can think of to add text to something and i just like having that there it's a plain text file and that way i can put it in if i have to go to word i can put it in word if i can keep it in pages i'll do that you know wherever i go with this text um, i like to start with just a, a plain text file so i open the lid on my mac in the morning daily journal shows up apps open in the background all this stuff happens with keyboard maestro and we did a whole show on it so you can go back and listen to that but boy i found that useful
0: that Wi-Fi trigger in Keyboard Maestro is pretty powerful because you can, it, Keyboard Maestro can really know where you are based on the Wi-Fi trigger. And I've got a couple of Wi-Fi triggers set up on Keyboard Maestro. One that I have set up is I have it set up to mute the volume on my Mac when I'm not on my home Wi-Fi because there's kind of nothing, well, there's a lot of things more embarrassing, but it is embarrassing when you're out and about with your Mac in a public place or even just at the office, and all of a sudden notifications or iTunes music or whatever starts coming through the Mac speakers. So I've set up a keyboard maestro macro to mute the volume whenever it sees that I'm not on my home Wi-Fi network. So that saved me a little bit of embarrassment. And then, of course, I've set up the reciprocal maestro that says, okay, when I am on my Wi-Fi network... Go ahead and and turn the volume back up, and then even just something um, as as simple as I have uh, different hard drives that are connected to make clone backups of my Mac at different places—one at the office and and one at home. But I don't want those clones connected all the time and mounted on my desktop because sometimes you'll start launching apps from the clone drive, and so uh, Keyboard Maestro will. Um, automatically eject those backups on launch but what's great about the wi-fi thing is that when i come home on my home wi-fi network keyboard maestro will mount my drobo share because sometimes yeah so i just set that up by a a simple apple script to tell keyboard maestro to mount my drobo so that i know my drobo share is always mounted and and ready to go whenever whenever my laptop is up and home
1: yeah, I I added another one while you were talking. So when I get to work and it sees my Wi-Fi, it turns the volume up to 11 ah. and then, then plays Dolly Parton's 9 to 5.
0: Got it. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. One perhaps a little more, um, I think I talked about this on the Keyboard Maestro show, but you can also launch Keyboard Maestro, um, tell it to launch based on USB triggers, which or can be based on a hard drive being plugged in, based on a scanner being plugged in, based on any kind of physical USB device being plugged in, it can do something. And one of the things I've taught Keyboard Maestro to do is to um, launch the ScanSnap software and quit the ScanSnap software based on my ScanSnap being plugged in or not. But instead of me actually having to physically plug it in or not, I've learned that just lifting and closing the lid is enough to activate it that a keyboard maestro registers so as soon as i lift the lid on my scan snap it says oh let me launch that software for you and as soon as i close it it shuts it down
1: okay so that's not working through the wireless connection correct no the, that's, that's you know, the... that
0: i'm sorry that's that's working through the usb connection yeah yeah
1: cuz the the new scan snap has the ability to work wirelessly so that wouldn't work
0: no I have, an, I have an older scan snap at the office right
1: but what you could do is you could have keyboard maestro it, Detect when you're on your home Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. and it could launch the ScanSnap application if you're using it wirelessly. And then when you leave home, you could have it turn it off. There you go. It's, you know, the the idea of uh, context-sensitive computing is very popular on these iOS devices. You know, we've got a lot of things that our phones can do because they're location-aware. Uh, what Keyboard Maestro does is give you the ability to add that to your Mac uh, using something crude like a Wi-Fi signal. But, you know, for a lot of times, that's good enough.
0: Right. And everybody was asking me to post that Keyboard Maestro macro where I stick in my emergency tough and tiny drive and it copies my 1Password data over to it and a couple of other things. And that got posted. It went up last Wednesday.
1: Good. So Good. So we'll put the link in the show there notes. There you go. It's in the show notes. Well, that's really helpful. Uh, another thing I do for automation at the day job is – I talked about my little text file. So I'm always sending the text off to people a lot of times, you know, like I have people that help me at work and they've got used to my quirky ways. And they understand that a lot of times I have a plain text that needs something done. And maybe it needs to be turned into a letter or added to a brief or something like that. And I try to spend as little time as possible in Microsoft word. And (laughs) I get angry emails every time I say that. But you know, the fact is I just want to be writing words. I don't want to be managing, you know, you know, layout stuff. So uh, I have created a series of Automator scripts uh, and their services done with Automator, which is free on your Mac. And I I should post these, but it's really an easy Automator script if you've never done one before. So it's a new service. And what it does is it takes selected text and it emails it to a person. I think it's like three steps in Automator. It, It really is easy. So Uh, But the, the great news is I do it in a way that I've got two or three people that I'm constantly sending this text to. So I've got a separate service for each person, and the script runs all on its own. So if I select text out of my plain text file, it copies the text, it opens a new email message, it posts the email message, and it sends the email to that person. I mean, I never... Do anything. I just select the text and I hit a keyboard combination or I could right click and activate a service and send it and it's gone.
0: Back up and tell people who don't know what a service is.
1: Okay, so so Automator is the automation tool that comes free on your Mac. If you've never played with it before, go back. We did a show on it with Ben Waldy and um, Frankly, if you've read any of my Mac Sparky field guides, I think at least there's at least one automator screen flow in every one of them. But it's just a really great like little automation tool that comes free on every Mac and anybody can use it. If you're listening to this and you're saying, well, I'm not a computer programmer. I'm a little geeky, but I I could never do that. You know what? You could. You absolutely could. It's like building Lego. Uh, So it's it's so easy to get into this stuff. Lego. I've got it right. I'm I've just, got the screen. I'm syntax just clarifying correct. for
0: anybody out the there who may stopped. be thinking otherwise. Okay.
1: No, it's it's Lego. Got it. So so you go and you uh, you build these little automator scripts and, and like taking and, and what a service is, is it takes an automator script and it puts it in your in your context key. So if you right-click on the desktop, for instance, it will give you the ability to activate one of these automator scripts. So you don't even have to go into the automator program once you build these services. And the services can be context aware. So if you have images selected and you right click, you're gonna get service options like resize the image that you won't get when you select text, which may be like spell check the text so depending on what you select the automator scripts can do different things so i've built a service that only works with text but when i select text i can right click on it and push a button and it goes immediately to the paralegal and i don't open an email application i don't push any buttons it's just gone and every time i do it it makes me smile and i i don't know how much time it really saves me but it does save me time
0: Let's see. What you don't I, you don't
1: sound impressed with that? No, I,
0: I'm impressed with that. I'm impressed with that. I do a couple of things with Automator. Some of I use Automator quite a bit in conjunction with Hazel. But I do yeah. a couple of um, things, particularly with um, podcast prep that I do in conjunction with Automators and and Hazel. And Hazel kicks off the Automator action. Usually is how it works. And I know we'll talk about Hazel a little bit later. But specifically, one of the things that I do is at the end of every podcast, we got a couple of audio files that we have to deal with, but we, we immediately send off the um, the Skype recording that we do to um, JT, who does the show notes for, for us. And Hay has been filling in for him this month, and that has been fabulous. So I've slightly modified it to send it off to Hay. So what it does is it looks for this particular type of file that is named this particular type of way in this specific folder, and that's the Hazel part of it, and we'll talk about Hazel in a minute. And then it, if it finds it, it kicks off an automator action which moves it and then generates an email saying it moves it to a shared Dropbox folder and then generates an email saying, um, "I just uploaded the the latest episode is uploading right now. It's going to be posted on whatever day it's going to be posted." You know, thanks.
1: Yeah. Well, I I do find these tricks at work very useful. So as you're getting through your day and you've got repeated tasks you do often, it it's really great. Another one I use is. And uh, I've talked at length at Text Expander over the years, but Text Expander just saves me so much time with all of the daily automation type tasks I do. Even just like today, someone called and said, "Hey, I want to do a phone conference," and it was a last-minute thing, and nobody had had planned it, but they wanted to do it in five minutes. I used my free conference call uh, Text Expander snippet and just sent an email out to the four people that wanted to be there, and within minutes, we were all on a conference call together. And that's just using a really clever text expander with some fill-in snippets to to get the appropriate number and the agenda out to everyone. And people just, they're always surprised at how quickly I can make all this stuff happen when I got on the conference call, because they said, we want to do a call, but we don't have a number set up, but we want to do it in the next few minutes. I said, no problem. I hung up within a couple minutes. I had that email out, which was a text expander snippet. And when we got on the call, the first thing that, the the one of the people on the call who didn't know me at all, from Adam uh, said was wow you, your staff is really awesome. <laughs> I said I I said yeah I know they are. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to say? I, you, know? y-
0: you wrote a blog post about that, and we'll put a link to that blog post in the show notes. But I have completely stolen that. I've stolen your text expander snippet and everything. I did. I did edit it so I didn't use your conference call number, or I don't even. know. Uh, you may have blocked it out or whatever. But um, it's a great that service that you use. Um, I've I signed up for an account and I started using that service. But it's it's a great great thing. We'll put a link to that in the show notes.
1: So the way that works, I think it's called freeconferencecall.com dot com. I think dot so. net but so you get a number from them and a dial-in number and the thing is it's a constant so the their phone number and the co- the specific conference number is always the same so what i do is i i i set that up and then the text expander snippet says okay this confirms we have a call and i anticipate the call will take and i've got a text expander uh, selection box with 15 30 45 and 60 minutes So I just select how long I think the call will take. I love, you know, kind of setting expectations for that stuff, you know, because sometimes they can get really long if you don't. And then the other thing I always do is I've got a fill in snippet at the bottom that says the agenda will be the following. And I put in two or three agenda items. So to create that. So then when someone says they want to do the conference call, I just open an email. I fire off that snippet, which in my Mac is just conference call with no space. And it, it creates the whole snippet. I do those few fill ins and then I hit send.
0: Yeah, it's brilliant.
1: Yeah. I.
0: Okay. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about how you get some stuff done because you have a lot of task automation, which is something that I want to get into more. But before we do that, can you tell me about our first sponsor?
1: Why, yes, I can. Our first sponsor today is Fujitsu. In fact, speak of the devil, we were just talking about the Fujitsu ScanSnap a few minutes ago. Fujitsu is the makes, the, in my opinion, the best scanners for the Mac. They've got a line of, of scanners that now support both Mac and PC, but they also have this great Mac software. And my favorite by far is the iX500. So the Fujitsu ScanSnap iX500 is full duplex, which means it can scan both the front and back of the document as it goes through. It's got a 50-sheet feeder built right in, so you can put a big stack of paper there. And it's USB 3.0, so it's wicked fast. In fact, it gets 25 pages per minute. So if you've got paper you need to get scanned, you just set it in the scanner, you press the blue button, and it flies right into your computer. It can scan directly into your Mac, but you can also scan onto your mobile device with their software. Uh, once you get it going, it's it's got OCR, optical character recognition, built in. So it can run that optical character recognition right as it scans the documents in. And with Modern Max, that makes it very fast and searchable and gives you all these other benefits with some of this automation stuff we're going to talk about. Um, it's just a great scanner. I, I use it for documents Every day, I've been using the Fujitsu Scan Snaps for years, and I love seeing the way that the line has developed over the years. They keep finding ways to make it better. One of the more recent updates to the iX500 is the ability, like I was saying earlier, to scan without plugging into your Mac. And how great is that? You can have the scanner in your kitchen, and you can have your Mac in your your office, and you can still scan directly onto it when you get the mail in the house. If you don't want the iX500, you need something a little smaller, you can get the S1300i, which is more portable but still has a feeder and 12 pages per minute scanning speed. It's a great little scanner. It's also less expensive if you're on a budget. And if you really want to go small, get the S1100, which is super portable. It's USB-powered, and you can carry it in your, your bag with you. Easy to carry around, and it kind of looks like a wand shape. It's really great. You can learn more at www.easy.com slash SSMPU. That stands for Scan Snap Mac Power Users, SSMPU. Uh, they've got some great stuff there, Katie. I, I have... Um, sold so many of these scan snaps to my friends and colleagues over the years. Uh, I will have no um, hesitation to tell anybody listening to this that if you've been waiting and you've you've been trying to get get by with something else and you're not happy with your document scanner, just go get yourself a scan snap and it will solve the problem. We get emails like that almost every day from listeners that say, I don't know why I waited so long. And it really is true. They're great software, great hardware, and they really support the Mac well. So thanks Fujitsu for sponsoring us and go get yourself a ScanSnap.
0: So you added to the outline, and I don't want to steal your thunder here, but that you automate a lot of tasks. And I didn't really think about this in, until you put some of this in there. And I always, you know, you can't certainly do recurring tasks in OmniFocus, which I do, but I think you use them for a lot more things than I would think to use them for. So, how do you automate your tasks?
1: Well, I have this problem of, um, I guess, is it to use computer language? Is it's a bandwidth?
0: Yeah. constraint. Okay.
1: <laughs> you know. I, I feel like sometimes I have so many things I'm doing and I'm in so many places, which is one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of OmniFocus. It's just, I need a lot of help with all these little things. I don't just have to make sure I get my teeth cleaned. I have to make sure that my daughters get their teeth cleaned. And I, you know, there's just a million little things that if I try to keep in my RAM, I am not going to be able to do so. So very a very long time ago, I started coming up with little ticklers. I mean, in, in the legal profession, they call them ticklers, mm-hmm. where you'd say, in a year, give me a notice to tell these people to update their corporate books. Well, the, when I first saw that, you know, and this was back in the day where ticklers was really a box of note cards. I mean, this was over 20 years ago. Uh, but I really like that idea, and I've tried to incorporate that into my personal life as much as possible. So I have all these tasks in OmniFocus and I call this task automation. So checkup is a good example. I just got a note on OmniFocus the other day saying make a, a dental appointment. So it's now been uh, 5 months since my last appointment and I have a recurring task every, you know, every 5 months to make an appointment because once I get the task, it's going to take me 2 or 3 weeks to, you know, work up the time and effort to get the appointment made. So that shows up I'll make the dental appointment. I'll check it off. And then in another five months, it'll show up again. And I don't think about, Hey, when's the last time I got my teeth cleaned? You know, I don't have to think about that because it's, it's off the table. The computer is handling that for me. And if you think about a lot of the things in your life, like changing the oil in the cars, because you know, I, if I don't manage that, my wife and daughter aren't going to, that's just not their thing. So I'm, Always tracking maintenance on their vehicles. I even have a task for myself to get a haircut, and I, I realize how stupid that
0: is. <laughs> right? I, I'm laughing because my reminder to get a haircut is when I look in the mirror and think, "Is my hair getting longer than it normally does?" And I just did that today, which means I need to call my lady and get an appointment.
1: Well, you know, I I like my barber, and he's a busy guy, and. And I am, I'm that crazy at this point in my life that I will forget to think about the idea of getting a haircut. And then I'll look in the mirror and I'll look like a hippie. Can't
0: have
1: that. You're silent, but it's true. So, you know, I'm going to get every four or five weeks. I think my, I think it's a five week reminder, schedule a haircut appointment. And so I've got all of these things in here. Those are the easiest ones. And, and the way I, I work this out is every time I drop the ball on something. You know, if, if, if you I look in the at my, mirror
0: and you look like a hippie,
1: yeah, I'm like, well, how come I didn't think of making a haircut appointment three weeks ago? And I realize I've been too busy. I haven't been thinking about, you know, the length of my hair. So I'm going to make an appointment for that. If my daughter's car is a good example, she, her car went over, uh, we didn't get her oil change in time. So it was it was like 6,000 miles, and the car she has needs every 3,000 miles. The mechanic's like, hey, man, what's up with this? You're usually good about it. And I just realized that although I had all those reminders set for my car, I didn't have any set for hers. So every time I drop the ball on something, I add a new recurring task. And you can do this in OmniFocus, but you don't have to use OmniFocus. You can use whatever task management application you want something that has recurring uh, tasks in it if you wanted to you could do it in calendar application because there's re- are there are recurring mm-hmm. events now in yeah. calendar okay a uh, busy cal would be better i think they've got better treatment for recurring tasks but i, I think a task planner rather than a calendar is a better way to do it um, another trick i use for that is um you know planning to do something versus doing something like i have uh my sister's birthday is coming up so i've got a recurring task you know plan gift project for her i don't have a project to buy her a gift because the trouble is i'm going to um let that task kind of delay a while and i wanted to the way i set the recurring task is it, it restarts you know cal- on the calendar basis a week before her birthday so I have a task that tells me to, to plan that out and then I can just set up a separate task to say, you know, when I see it, I'll say, okay, well, I'm going to go get her, you know, a uh, a big kitchen knife, big sharp kitchen knife. So I'll write down, go buy her a kitchen knife at the kitchen store and then I'll click off the task to plan her gift and I've got a new task to, to go get it and I can put that in the proper context like an errand or whatever other system I use to do that with. Boy, I sound like such an anal retentive, you know what?
0: Yeah, and I was just thinking that's multiple steps to go get a gift. But but planning your sister's birthday, depending on your relationship with your sister, and depending on where she lives and the event, whether it's a landmark birthday or just kind of an every other year birthday, um, you know, may be more than just buying her a gift. It may be you're the one who's hosting the birthday dinner this year or it's your responsibility to get the cake this year. So I I guess that makes sense.
1: Well – I, I what I would say is that don't be afraid to use those kinds of tools for things that you think you should keep in your RAM, in your operating RAM, because you don't need to. And, and the freedom of of setting all that stuff down lets me actually think about the things I need to be working on.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: This is that's kind of a it's kind of a I think it's kind of a GTD thing too. I mean that's the whole idea of GTD is you get everything out of your head, so then you can be free to work on whatever you want. So I, I know that I've got a certain amount of GTD involved with this, but with a tool like OmniFocus, the, the controls are so granular you can have a task repeat based on when you checked it off, or based on a calendar, or the second Tuesday of every month. You know whatever it is, you can set it up. Like we've got this new show now, I'm going to set up a recurring task to start planning um, the live show. Uh, the Saturday, the, the last Saturday of every month. So that gives me a week to kind of work on whatever I need to for that show. And, and well, I'm so not that just re- reminded
0: me now I've got to set up all new tasks to, because I've got tasks set up every week for our weekly show to send it to the editor and to make sure that the yeah. show notes get done and make sure it gets posted. I've got to set up all new tasks on a different, on a different schedule just for that one, that one show.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I, I do think you should give some thought to that. And that's an everyday automation that, boy, it really helps me a lot.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what do you do about uh, timers and alarms and and things like that? I've been I've been giving a lot more thought recently, and maybe more thought than I should to alarms. And I've got this iHome alarm clock, and I, I've I had one for years, and I've loved it. And I got a new one last year with the the move to the lightning connector because yeah. I really didn't like having that extra adapter on my old 30 pin cuz I just kind of felt like it wasn't very stable and I felt like it you know was was wobbly so I I picked up a new alarm clock and moved the other one to the office and put a bluetooth adapter on it and so now I have this new alarm clock and I got I've sent feedback to the ihome people but it is miserable the um I, I've gotten so many firmware updates but the alarm just is not reliable. Sometimes the alarm will go off, sometimes it won't. Usually the alarm goes off four or five minutes after it's supposed to because it's really been going off, but the audio hasn't been going off. And Anyway, it's just made me not having a reliable alarm clock, which is kind of a prerequisite for an alarm clock, has made me think more about alarms and and setting alarms and timers to, to do things. And this even goes with alarms for um, events and, and reminders to, to leave the office and reminders to to go places. And some of that, I think, has helped because now we've got uh, more granular alarms that we can set um, with BusyCal, which I use, or even in the in the new calendaring app. And Siri certainly makes setting timers and alarms easier. But I know many people who their iPhone is their only alarm clock, and they like that because they can set different alarms based on different days or um, you know, this is my alarm for Monday, Tuesday, uh, Thursday, Friday, but I have a different alarm on Wednesdays cause I've got to go into the office early. Um, and I, I don't know, that's just something I've been thinking about more and I don't know what the solution is.
1: You're playing with me, Katie Floyd. I am. I, I alarms are such a big part of my life. Uh, the, the morning thing, I, I don't have a, um, anyone like an I home type device when I, if I was going to wake up with my phone, I would just, just the, the phone's built in speakers good enough you know, but I, I'm using a Fitbit force. I just did a review on it at max Sparky, which is the the latest Fitbit that straps to your wrist and it's got a vibration alarm in it. So when you set the alarm, it, your wrist shakes in the morning and that wakes me up just fine. Uh, but the, the bigger question I think is this whole thing with, uh, using alarms throughout your day. And to me, an appointment, when I schedule an appointment for myself, um, whether it's me to do like research on something or whether it's to talk to another person, I always almost without exception put an alarm on. I mean, everything I do has an alarm attached because if I don't have an alarm, I'm going to blow it.
0: And do you usually, usually set that like depending on whether this is a phone conference or an office conference or whether you have to drive somewhere? I'm guessing so much before. Okay.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's, it depends on the event is the answer is like, for instance, I had a call today that I knew would take very little preparation for. I set an alarm for five minutes before and that gave me enough time to have the right file open and be ready to talk to somebody. And I had another call today that was going to be intense. And I had an alarm 30 minutes before. And when that alarm went off, I stopped everything I was doing, put it all down and spent 30 minutes getting ready. So I didn't sound like a complete moron when the phone call started. And that's, I mean, that's everything I do when I create an appointment. I, I manage my own calendar. You know, I don't, the the way my day job works, the people can kind of put time in for me, but I'm always monitoring that. and, if I see an appointment goes in, I will put the necessary, you know, alarm on it. If it's somewhere where I have to drive, I'll have a big enough alarm to get ready and drive and make it on time. If it's somewhere I have to drive and I have to bring preparation or do preparation before the meeting, I'll set an alarm big enough to do both of those things. So, uh, you yeah, know, I, I set alarms for everything. I set alarm when I make tea. I, I, have I told the story on the show before? I, I keep thinking I have, but maybe Four it was somewhere else.
0: for tea. Two minutes? Four minutes? No. Are you
1: crazy? I
0: don't know. I wasn't paying attention when you were talking about tea. Two minutes well, for
1: tea. Well, it just depends. Okay. Uh, but it, if I said if I, if I go to brew tea, I put the leaves in, I pour the water, and I say, this is only going to be three minutes. I can just go handle these two little problems, and then I'll come back, and then my tea will be perfect. I'm not religious about saying it has to be three minutes to the second, but you know, generally around three minutes. So you'd think that I could do that. You think it would be easy for someone who you know can wake up and tie his shoes every morning to just say, "Okay, in three minutes, I'll come back and take the leaves out no, of my tea. somebody
0: grabs you in the hallway, or you get caught up in something. Yeah, I, I get it's it. It's not
1: even it's not even someone grabbing me. It's literally me going on a website or starting to read a letter and thinking about something, and I look up and it's been twenty minutes, and I've just wrecked. A perfectly good cup of tea and I look and it's all bitter and I, I f- every time I don't set an alarm that happens it's not that you know once in a while that happens if I don't set alarm every time it happens uh-huh. I, I think I, I don't know does that mean I'm going senile I'm not really sure I think I've probably always been this way but so when I put tea in I pick up the iPhone and I say set a timer for three minutes I, I am so trained to do that because I know if I don't do it I'll wreck the tea Um, So at some point, I think I talked about that on the show. Yeah, you did. Okay. So I've said that enough, but then Dr. Drang afterwards wrote a whole post on it because that's, you know, that's because he said that
0: that wasn't the most efficient way to set your timer.
1: No. and, And his point was that you can't set multiple timers that way on the iPhone. Instead, he says, remind me to fix my tea in three minutes, and you can set multiple reminders that way. And his method makes perfect sense. But when I'm making tea, it only takes three minutes, so I'm still doing it my old way. But I'm using reminders more. When I was was barbecuing for the Super Bowl, I was using the heck out of reminders for that.
0: Yeah, but then you have to, like, check off your reminders. I I don't think I would want reminders for something that's so – you know, if I set the the oven for – 20 minutes because I've got something in there. I'm, I'm going to want the timer to go off because the timer is a heck of a lot more intrusive than the reminder notification. Yeah. yeah. I guess you can but change you, that. It's all.
1: If you're doing bratwurst, hamburgers and pizza at once, you need a lot of reminders. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah.
0: I've been using this new app and it was recommended by our good buddy, um, Dr. Jeff Tickman. Uh, who was yeah. on the show a couple of episodes ago. I mean, maybe it's in a couple of months now. But he wrote this up on his blog, and I, I don't know how this is pronounced. I'm going to guess it's pronounced Mynd, M-Y-N-D, maybe just Mind. Mind, there we go. M-Y-N-D is probably how it's pronounced.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. That does
0: make sense. And um, I'm so bad with these these apps that are called funny things and websites. But it is a calendaring application, and it's free. You can pick it up on the App Store. And, you know, one of the great promises of Maverick's in the calendar application in Mavericks is that it would be able to auto figure out where I almost always put locations in my events, but I don't necessarily put full-fledged addresses. Like, yeah. like I may say, I'm going to have lunch at McAllister's Deli, but I'm not going to put the address of McAllister's Deli in the calendar app. Cause number one, I don't know what the address is. I just know where McAllister's Deli is. And 90 plus times out of 100, if I just put McAllister's Deli in the calendar app, that's all that's going to stay in there. It's never going to be able to figure out where McAllister's Deli is or how long it's going to take me to drive there. and, And that's just it. And I don't, I have noticed that I know that it pulls from Apple Maps and I know that Apple Maps is not very good yet in my area. So it may work better in different locations, but it just doesn't work great for me. But
1: so is this wait is this app for the Mac or no, for iOS? I'm
0: getting there. I'm telling you the problem first. That's, okay. that's the All problem. Right. Is there was this great promise of of travel time and reminders based on travel time that for me has completely felt fallen down and has failed. So this app is called Mind M Y N D and it is for iOS. And it reads from your iCloud or all of your synced things because it can pull from that iOS data store. So it has pulled in all of my calendars from my Exchange 365 server, from um, Google, and from iCloud. And it knows things. So it knows that when I have um, uh, lunch at McAllister's Deli today... It found the closest McAllister's Deli to my office, which it has also figured out where it is, and figured that was likely where my lunch was going to be, and told me that at this time of day, at this time, it was going to take me eleven minutes to drive there, and put in eleven minutes. Um, I had to pick. Impressive. Yeah, I had to pick up my mom, at um, she works at a local hospital, so I just put the abbreviations of the hospital in in the location. It's a well known hospital. And it figured it out, and we have a, a Wednesday morning breakfast meeting at a local restaurant. McAllister's
1: Deli, right? Not at
0: McAllister's Deli. I don't think they do breakfast. Um, but every Wednesday morning, we have a meeting, and so I I put in the name of the restaurant. And the first two Wednesdays, it got a little aggressive, and it told me that I was running late because it told me it was going to take twenty minutes to get from my house to the deli. And I'll tell you, it takes ten.
1: See, I do it all the deli. time. It is the deli. It
0: is the deli, but it's a different deli. And after two weeks of me driving that route from my house to the restaurant, it has now updated itself and says, okay, nope, your drive time is ten minutes. So it you can you can set it to give you warnings based on um it, it will warn you in advance, hey, your appointment's at eight o'clock, you need to leave by um by seven fifty. And then it will also give you a little bit louder reminder at 7:50 saying, um, "Get on the road." And at like 7:55, it will send you a notification saying, "You're running five minutes late." <laughs> and what I'm, I'm hoping, I mean, there's there's so much great things that I think they could do with this, like tie in in particular. You know, it can it can pull in and it can see invitees and I, I I'd love to pay for it. I, I hope they do cool things with it in the future.
1: Yeah, so it's free right now. Free. You're going to give them access to your calendar. Yeah, it sounds like it works with Exchange, Google, and also Apple Calendar. Yep. Interesting.
0: And I think it's just I think it's just pulling from I know well it's pulling from, yes you give it access to your calendar, you give it access to your contacts. I don't know what they're doing with that information. Yeah. Hopefully, not bad things.
1: What about battery impact? Is it? I mean, because just so it's it's monitoring your it's monitoring your location and it's monitoring. Well, I guess that would really be the one thing that would shoot, use up battery because it's got to know where you're at if it's going to figure out how long it's going to take to get to the deli.
0: Right. But I think it's using that passive location monitoring.
1: Do you um, go to delis for every meal?
0: You know, I'm really not a big deli fan, although I do like McAllister's. They have great iced tea. I'm not a huge deli Sounds
1: fan. like, I think you have a deli thing. Yeah. I think you do. Okay. Wow, this is great. I'm looking at it right now thanks katie floyd
0: <laughs> so uh do you want to take a quick break or do you want to talk about hazel
1: yeah that we kind of got off the subject of automation there we, but i guess that that kind of, kind of automates automation. your uh, it automates. it tells me where to
0: go and when
1: yeah that's yeah. nice. Well, I have a, All right, let's talk about a sponsor.
0: Yeah, I have a feeling that um, it could take a while to, to talk about Hazel. So I want to I want to take a quick break and talk about our next sponsor for this episode. And that is our good friends over at one password. And what can we say about one password that hasn't been said before, other than it allows you to create unique, randomly generated using their super uber password generator strong passwords for different websites and different services that you decide to visit because there is no reason to be using the same password over and over again On multiple websites, because it's just dangerous. We're going to see data breaches like the ones we saw at Target and Neiman Marcus and all of the other ones that have have since been reported. Those are really just going to become much more common occurrences. And I think now people are starting to see how important it is to have these unique passwords that go across the different services. And especially um, recently, we've had a lot of people writing and telling us about how they've used one password or how they've had an incident where something has happened and their information has been compromised and their email got hacked because their password somewhere else got out somewhere, um, and how it's really converted them into becoming a believer that they need to start using an app like 1Password to make sure that they're managing their passwords and really have these strong, unique passwords everywhere. And I hope that it doesn't take an incident for you to decide that This is something that you need to do. You know, one of the beauties of 1Password is that everything syncs across all of your devices, either via Dropbox or via iCloud or sometimes via both if you want to use that little nifty trick using the iOS app as as a kind of a jumper to make sure that you have both. Um, so that it's available on your Mac, it's available on your PC. If you've got a Windows-based machine that you need, they've got a license for that too. Uh, it's available on your iPhone. They've got a reader for Android. So anywhere that you need it, and I had a Mac Power Users listener write in and tell me, you know, we talked about one password anywhere previously it allows you to take this 1Password data file and open it up on any computer with a web browser. And we said, well, specifically, you can plug it into a Mac, you can plug it into a, a, a PC and open up this 1Password Anywhere file. But this listener pointed out that you can also use this on a Linux box. It'll work anywhere that you've got a web browser. So you really can take 1Password with you anywhere that you go. Know. David, I know, is a huge fan of the secure notes feature that allows you to store things like information about particular family members. Um, I've got a list of medications for various family members that I keep in there. Uh, You can also store all of your serial numbers within 1Password. And one of their brand new features is they've also got this new security audit feature that will tell you when your passwords are aging, and it's probably time to go ahead and update them, where you've used particularly weak passwords, and where you've got passwords that you've duplicated across multiple devices and services. So it makes it really easy to see where your weak points are. You can find out more information and download a free trial at OnePassword.com. It's available in the Mac App Store, which will give you basically a family license that you can use on all of your machines that you have connected to that. You can also buy it from their store, where you can get a Mac version, a PC version. You can get a switch, a sliders bundle if you go back and forth between the Mac and PC. And you can get family packs. And it's also available as a hybrid app for iOS. So go check them out, OnePassword.com, And thanks to 1Password for their continued support of Mac Power users.
1: You know what else they're good for?
0: What's that?
1: You could to automate your login to the deli. So I could. you could get that turkey and Swiss on rye in just like two clicks.
0: I can't. Not a deli person. All right. Let's talk about Hazel.
1: I, I was curious about Hazel on this show. I mean, we, it's, a, it's a common thread throughout our show that Hazel's very useful for a lot of things we do. I'm not sure I call it much of an automation tool. I, 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 I guess I think of it more as a file management tool.
0: Well, is that not in its very nature yeah, automation?
1: I, yeah, I understand. I mean, like we all have, we've talked about some of our favorite Hazel tricks. So Hazel, if you've, if you amazingly don't know what it is. Uh, <laughs> How Hazel's long have a tool- you listened
0: to this show? <laughs>
1: Yeah. So if you're a brand new listener, Hazel is an application that can do perform rules on files on your Mac at the most basic level. For instance, if you want to take everything on your desktop that's over three days old and throw it in the trash, it will do that for you. And we've talked a lot about various Hazel rules we use over the years, but I don't feel like it's automation to me. I guess it is file automation. I'm I'm just slicing the onion too thin.
0: Well, it's it's file automation in the sense that yeah, you can take files and you can move them here to there, but it's it's more than that. I mean, I posted on my site recently uh, a script that I use to automatically OCR documents.
1: Yeah, and that
0: was really smart. Well, thank you. I stole part of it from you, and so that's a that's a to me that's more than just file. Yes, it's file automation with Hazel, but it's you know it's being productive it's it's not it's not just moving files around it's it's actually doing things with those files
1: yeah and and for instance the stuff in the paperless talk in the book and all the other stuff about auto filing documents is is nice automation like if you have a bill and you press the button hazel um the, the scan snap does the ocr hazel sees that it says doctor bill and it automatically names it and files it for you so that's automation you don't have to do any of that work I agree with you, but I don't know. What what's new that we can share about that at this point?
0: Okay. Well, we've covered a lot about Hazel in the past, so maybe we maybe we shouldn't have maybe we could have covered it in the next section. But
1: Well, I don't know. I, I do like what you were talking about the podcast, so that was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, and, and I do that in a couple of things, but but basically there are a couple of times when I generate files and it needs to go to particular people. So for and and I use Hazel to generate a lot of emails to tell them when a file is ready. So I'll have Hazel and, and I do that in combination with Automator. So I'll yeah. have I'll have Hazel watch a folder and every month I create a particular invoice that has to go to our bookkeeper. So every month I create this invoice, it's always named the same thing. And when that invoice gets put in this particular file where it always is, Hazel watches that, you know, it only took me about 273 times of doing this before I said, huh, I should automate this. Hazel, yeah. Hazel watches that particular folder, sees the new invoice, which is based on, you know, date created is today and it's this kind of file and it contains this kind of naming convention, grabs that file and uh, creates a new email with that file attached to it and sends it to our bookkeeper.
1: Yeah, I stand corrected. That is completely automation right there. And and you're using Automator. You're using Hazel as a trigger mechanism.
0: To kick off automation, yes.
1: Yeah. So, So that's interesting. So going back to the discussion earlier about using Automator, and that's what you did with this post you did this week about OCR, is the same thing. You took an Apple script I wrote like four years ago, and you said, hey, what would happen if I put that in a Hazel script? So Hazel looks for a file that doesn't have OCR, then grabs the file, applies the apple script to it and then and then saves the file so then that no longer does that file not have ocr in it very smart
0: and i do want to say that i tweaked your apple script because previously you have left pdf pen just hanging out there open and i quit pdf pen for you
1: thank you yeah you're welcome pdf pen appreciates that too
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm surprised it still works i don't like hanging applications open on my mac
1: I mean Smile is really good about putting Apple Script support into their apps. Not all developers do that.
0: Yeah. And well and they're getting better about it because now they've got it for the redaction too. Which I yeah. I, I well I taught we talk we well, here's a, a tip. We're talking about that next week with uh, um with our with our workflow guest who'll be on next week about um the redaction in, in PDF pen because we did some dueling dueling scripts for that.
1: Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> and mine's All soft. right. All right. Um, well, you're right. So Hazel is also an automation tool, and uh, amongst, in and among other things, it does. Yep.
0: Yeah. All right. So can we talk a little bit? If you're done with Hazel, which you didn't want to talk about to begin Hazel. with. Yeah. I am really, really excited about this idea of the automated home. I and maybe it's just because I want to live in the home of the future. Yeah. I want. I, I want everything about my house to be automated. And we're not quite there yet, but we're getting close.
1: It feels like we've got a lot closer in the last couple of years than we ever were before.
0: Yeah. And, and, and in a way that it doesn't feel as cheesy as it did. I mean, you could always do some of these automation things, but it was incredibly yeah. expensive and it could get cheesy real fast. Yeah. And I feel like for the first time we're starting to get on this home automation kick that, and and, you know, the title of this episode is everyday automation, and maybe it could also be automation for everybody. I don't know, but I I feel like we're getting to this point where automation, especially in the home is coming to the masses. I mean, you saw that it was a big deal at CES. Uh, You introduced me to the Wemo line of products, which was a big mistake because I have gone (laughs) a, a little bit crazy. Um, in fact, I spent my weekend, uh, not last weekend, weekend before, not my fall weekend, but, um, installing two or three of the Wemo light switches around my house.
1: Now, when you did that, did you get like a tool belt, like a multimeter?
0: Well, there was only one small pop and I would like to say for the record, that was not my fault, but, um, no, it was just a Phillips and a flat and some needle nose pliers.
1: I don't know. When you told me that uh, you put it in and you had not the, the one thing that surprised you that there was a ground.
0: Neutral. That scared
1: me a little bit neutral. that you didn't know. That. Well, I, I, I grew up in the 70s. We called it ground.
0: No, there's a ground and a neutral wire.
1: Oh, there is. Yeah. Wow. So there's four.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You got to have the And it doesn't work on a three-way switch. So you have to have the two power switches. Then there's the ground wire. And then yeah. the Wemo also requires a neutral wire, which... I think is in most modern homes, but may, may not be in some older circuitry.
1: Wow. Well, Katie, I'm
0: impressed. Yeah. And the the neutral was the tricky one because I had to go digging for the neutral wire because it's yeah. you don't have to connect it if you're connecting regular switches. And, and so I had so to like pull out some other switches to get to it.
1: And you had to get to like the, the wire nut that's got the, the deadlines in it and pulled that out and get to it.
0: Um, I don't think it was that bad. But the other thing I had to do is I had to replace my face plates because the the WEMO switches are um, square versus yeah. versus the switch. And so if you go on Amazon, you can find some really specific switches plates. But I had to find one that was like um, toggle, toggle, flat. And I was like, hmm, yeah, they don't sell, yeah. they don't sell those at A's. But yeah. it's all good. It worked. So,
1: wow. So, so you put these switches in yourself and you didn't electrocute yourself or burn down the house. And and what do they do?
0: Okay, so we, I say we all know, but let's just recap. We, we've talked quite a bit about the WeMo plugs on the show. Um, and these are plugs that you basically plug into an electrical outlet, and they will turn things on or off. Well, if you think about it, a light switch is is very similar, if not identical mechanically, to a, a power outlet. You know, it turns things on and off. Now they can also dim and things like that. But, but that's what light switch do. do. So... WeMo have, Belkin, the folks at Belkin have built in the WeMo technology into a light switch. So you can replace existing light switches in your house. And these things are about 40 bucks a piece. So it can get expensive if you want to replace all the light switches in your house. I'm not sure that I would recommend that. And then you hook these apps, these light switches up to your home Wi-Fi and you can control them via an iOS app and then you can also connect them to If This Then That. And so then all of these Wemo lines of products talk to each other. So you can have a light switch control actual, you know, lights that are recessed in your ceiling or however, the, whatever the light switch controls. Or yeah. you can also have the light switch control other things that are connected through the Belkin Wemo network, so to speak.
1: And yeah, So when it first started, you, you could only get the, the wall warts that you'd plug in and then you'd plug a lamp into it. Right. And you could turn that off or on with the Wemo. But if you had, for instance, the can lights in your ceiling, you didn't have a way to deal with that. Now they've got the switches. So you can replace a switch. And, and it cannot be a three-way switch is what I understand.
0: Correct. It's got to be just a plain, plain switch.
1: Yeah. So and you can put it in there. Then now, now all of a sudden your, light, your can lights are talking to the Wi-Fi which gives you all kinds of great options. They also have a motion sensor for it. And uh, do you, you have a motion sensor?
0: I do. So let me, let me tell you, because I, I use almost all of these. And what I did this last weekend is I connected the switches um, to my exterior lights. So I've got okay. the floodlights outside my garage door. I've got the floodlights outside the front of my house. And I've got the light directly outside, you know, the door, the light right outside your front door. So when people walk up, you know, there's
1: like, like the deli
0: delivery man, the deli delivery man comes, there's a light. Yeah. So I've done that. And so I've got the light switches. So I can either turn them on and off as regular light switches, or I can turn them on and off with my iPhone and freak everybody out. So that's one thing. And then you can connect them up to a motion sensor. So I've got a motion sensor. So I put a motion sensor in my garage and when it detects movement in my garage and I specifically got it aimed towards the garage door. So when it sees the garage door go up and down, it can trigger that light directly outside my garage to turn on or off.
1: Okay. So when you open the garage door, the outside lights turn off and on. Right. Or they turn on.
0: They turn on. And then after a five-minute delay, if there's no motion, they turn off. Yeah, okay. And then you can get even more granular with it. And so you can do all of that just with the app. And that's easy enough to do with the Wemo app. Then you can get even more granular with it. And you can connect them to if this, then that. So I've got a couple of if this, the, the, then that rules. I mean, first off, I have a rule of everything off. So at 11 o'clock every night, all of the lights go off. So if I've had them on for whatever reason, because I had company or was expecting guests, they'll go off at 11 o'clock because I can't tell you how many times I've turned those lights on only to drive off to work the next morning and see, oh, gosh, I've left the floodlights on all night long because I just yeah, forget that's about smart. them. So, yeah. And if the lights are already off, no harm, no foul. They just, they just stay off. Yeah. And I've also got the um, if this then that rule that will trigger so it will turn on those lights during certain times of the day. So if I want to have the outside lights on, you know, from dusk and then an hour thereafter, it can turn them on for me. Probably could yeah, do just- that by the app too.
1: The If This Then That service knows when the sun rises and sets where you live.
0: Yeah. And the WeMo app has gotten a lot smarter, too, because obviously I don't need the exterior lights to be on during the middle of the day. There's no reason for my floodlights to go on if my garage door opens at 10 o'clock in the morning. So yeah. you can tell If This Then That to only trigger this rule during these periods of times. And I've got it set between, you know, sunset, sunset and sunrise in this case. Yeah. So if I, you know, when I, when I come home from work, the first thing I do, and I usually do it from, you know, a hundred yards away or so, maybe not quite that far, is I hit the button to open the garage door. And by the time I pull into my garage, my exterior lights have flicked on. And so my lights are on so I can go get the mail and do all of that. And they go off five minutes later. And if I go out in the middle of the night for something, maybe I've got to take the trash out or maybe I forgot something I need to go out to my car. As soon as that garage door pops up, the lights come on, stay on for five minutes and go back off.
1: Isn't it great?
0: That's very cool. Th-
1: this this automation stuff. I, I use Wemos. I don't have as many as you do. I only have um, – I have – three switches. And so I've got them moving around the house constantly
0: now you for mean, different things. You mean plugs, right?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, plugs. I okay. haven't done any switches yet. I think I'm going to have to look at that though. As you were telling me though, I was thinking I, I mu- a lot of the places I want to use them are three way switches, so they wouldn't work there. But anyway, uh, I really think that the WeMo kind of showed us the way with this stuff. Uh, I talked about in prior shows how, like, I run Christmas lights on them. We have I have a sensor as well that points at the front door, so when you come in at night, if it's nighttime and it see someone showing up, it's going to turn on uh, some lights in the house, which is really great. Um, I, I need to look at these switches, though. I'm very interested in that. Um, another thing about the Wemo is that because it works with, if this, then that you're not limited to just saying if the sensor goes off, something happens with a Wemo, you can actually have the sensor do a lot of things. So I could say, if the sensor goes off, send me a text message, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's so. There's all you know. It, it's just a gateway, and in that sense, the Wemo switch operates as a trigger. And if this, then that, and then any of the things that if this, then that can do. Can happen. And I'm going to talk about with a later uh, one of these automation products, how I'm using the, if this, then that, I'm sorry, I'm using the Wemo sensor to make something else happen. So it's very cool.
0: Yeah, I I should mention that I've got, and you can, you can tie multiple rules to multiple devices. So I talked about how I have that motion sensor in my garage pointed towards the garage door so that if the garage door goes up, um, the, the lights go on if it's dark, but I also have a rule tied to that same sensor that says, "Hey, if it's between the hours of eight a.m. and six p.m., i.e., hours that I'm typically not home or I'm typically at work Monday through Friday, and this you detect motion, send me a text message."
1: It's it's so much easier to to do some of this stuff when you live alone, and yeah. I think that if I lived alone. I would bring this to an unhealthy level very quickly.
0: (laughs) Well, it's also good, you know, if you have kids who are coming home, you know, and you want to know when the kids get home in in the afternoon or something like that.
1: Yeah. If I set up a rule that I could document exactly what time they get home, (laughs) that would make them crazy. I can
0: tell you how to do that because you can take, (laughs) yeah, 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 you can take the Wemo and you can have it time something into a Google spreadsheet.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, you could. Do, you could just put it no, into a serious, No, right yeah, there. you can You can put it into a yeah. Google
0: Docs. In, in fact, there's a there's a pre-recorded um, or a pre setup up if this then that template for that. So it's really simple that when you detect motion, log of the motion in and out of this this spreadsheet.
1: In California, there's a curfew for kids under 18 driving. So fortunately, my daughter gets home well before you know I'm in bed. Yeah. But when she gets a little older, if she's still here, I, I might have to look into that.
0: <laughs> just get, get her a few Wemos for her uh, for her first yeah. apartment. And be like, oh, here, honey. I got these for you. She'll say,
1: she'll say that's fine. But just remember, I'm going re- to be the one that decides what to do with you when you're old. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: that's true. <laughs> the, um, uh, another product that we've talked about a little bit on the show, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it today, is this Nest. And um, I think that's another interesting home automation product. Yeah. Nest thermostat.
0: Yeah, um, I, I don't want to get a whole lot into the politics behind the Google purchase, but I think it will be interesting to see where Nest goes now that it's a Google product and whether they continue to innovate in the hardware realm or whether they get more software hooks. We know that an API is in the works. They've announced that. Um, at least publicly on their blog, so I'm I'm really looking forward to. I hope that uh, that API continues to go forward, and I hope we start seeing like some hooks with the Nest into services like if this then that and things like that. So.
1: Yeah. Yes and no. I I think the Nest, I'm fairly pedestrian in my use of it. So if you're listening, you've not heard of it before. The Nest is like a smart thermostat that connects to the internet. It's got an app that allows you to control it. And it's really nice, especially living in Southern California, if you've been out all day and you're an hour away from home and you know it's going to be 100 degrees in the house when you get home to turn on the air on your way home. And then when you get home, it's nice and cool, but you haven't had the air running all day. Or... You know where you know whatever your temperature problem is. You can set your thermostat. It's also supposed to be a learning thermostat. I've had kind of mixed results with it trying to figure us out because there's four people in my house and there is no regular schedule. Yeah. Maybe that would work better for you. I don't know. You know, it has.
0: But- and I found that it has most recently with the latest software update. There, there, were some, there were some real quirks with the learning, and I pretty much just set it on a schedule that I knew and left it with that. But I've noticed that the learning has gotten a lot better. Like if I was, if the schedule says I was supposed to get home at six and I didn't get home till eight, I've come home and I found that, that auto away has kicked on And, and so it's gotten better.
1: Well, I find it really useful. If for no other reason, just to be able to turn on my phone and turn it off and on, or set the thermostat when I'm away. Um, It's you know, I can't tell you the number of times we would leave for like a family event on a hot day and forget to turn on, turn down the thermostat, or turn it off, and then we'd get home and we find out uh, you know what the electricity has been running full blast like all day. Yeah. to cool a house we're not in. Now it's really easy if you're on the road and you say, well, did we get the air?" I don't know. You just open up your phone and you can turn it off if you forgot. And and our bills are lower.
0: I I want to say mine are lower too. And I didn't see it initially. I, I installed the Nest in May, which is when things start getting pretty toasty down here in Florida. And I, for what it's worth, I keep track of all my utility bills. And when I was doing my taxes this year, I looked at all, I was able to compare all my utility bills from this year to my utility bills from last year. And my utility bills this year were down $300 and not a, not a change in utility prices for us. And I think the weather's been pretty comparable. So I think it's
1: helped. I'd like to give the nest credit for that, but who knows, right? Yeah. (laughs)
0: That's a completely unscientific survey, but it makes me feel better about my purchase.
1: Yeah, but I'm not that interested in plugging that into if this than that or other automation tools. I don't need my WeMo to turn on my air conditioning. I just want the ability to control it remotely. Um, and and it's really attractive too. I mean, it it, it looks nice. Every other thermostat I ever had before looked terrible.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: it should for 250 dollars though.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about getting some of these. I think we talked about them on the gift guide show. Um, what are they? The uh, smoke detectors. I just haven't pulled the trigger on that yet because oh, it's just it's I've got to get six of them. And that's. Yeah, expensive. that
1: that is a huge investment. And now that they've been purchased by Google, you don't really know where they're going with it.
0: So I, I know, may wait for version two.
1: Yeah. For all you know, they they may uh, be free, but you'll get ads for sweaters or something. You know, I don't know. That's uh, <laughs> Google, right? I'm What's noticing
0: that your batteries are dead. Would you like yeah. to upgrade your homeowners insurance? <laughs> <laughs>
1: No. The uh, <laughs> that's a good one. All right. Well, listen. Before we go into the next next item for home automation, is I wanted to talk about our third sponsor, and that's Pixelmator. And we love Pixelmator. It's the uh, in my mind premier application on the Mac for. Moving pixels around the screen, so if you 've got uh, photographs or if you 're into digital photography and you want a way to really make them pop, you want to get yourself a copy of Pixel meter. You can get it in the app store and it 's designed completely for the mac it 's not one of these apps that 's made to be a multi platform and has all these limitations placed on it, so it can also work on Windows. This is a fully you know fully pedigreed Mac application. Uh, they came out with version three recently. And they've got some really cool stuff they've added to it, like the ability to melt my face. You know, they've got this stuff in it. Uh, The the version 3 was so popular that within three weeks they had a million downloads. So as you can guess, there's a lot of people that really love this application. Um, they've got ways to to build in this liquefied tool. They've got layer styles. So anything you want to do high-end pho- with photography is going to allow you to do it. Then they just came out with version 3.1 uh, recently. So they're, like I said, they're always adding to this. And the new version, they went they went in full boat with the new Mac Pros. They've got dual GPU support. So if you've got one of these fancy new Mac Pros, it's going to pull all of that graphics resources and put it into your graphics application. 16-bit support, auto-save enhancements. Um, uh, It's just really great. And now they also have a service where you can order prints from right in the application. They continue to innovate with this application. You can buy it for $30 in the App Store. So just think about that. A high-end application made for the Mac to manage photography for $30. Um, I use it. I plug it into Aperture. Katie plugs it into iPhoto. I do. And it gives you a set of power tools that you know, really improve the ability to use the application. Now, if you're listening to me and you're saying, "Well, that's great, Dave," but I don't understand how that stuff works, and I'm not, you know, a pro at this stuff, and that's that's only for people that really are pros. I, I I'm telling you bollocks. You want to go online, check it out. Go to Pixelmator.com/slash uh, tutorials, and you're going to see a whole bunch of different um, video tutorials they've made showing you how to do all of this stuff. Whether you want to select tools or change shading. Do anything to make your photographs look better. You can do it right there. So it's called pixelmater.com. You can get it in the app store or directly from the web. Go check it out. And uh, thanks PixelMater for supporting the show. I guess I'm sorry. It's not available on the web to buy. You buy it from the app store. Yeah.
0: You get the free trial on the web. Yeah. yeah. You can try it
1: but, web. but, but you do want to go check it out their website because you're going to go in there and find some really great tutorials. I go in there every time I do one of these ad spots and, mm-hmm. and I find something new. I've, I've really become pretty good at this application. We made our whole Christmas card this year in pixel yeah.
0: So one of the things that I have really been tempted to start spending a lot of money on, but I just can't seem to do it is led light bulbs.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a new technology and, uh, and they're expensive and, you know, the, the old light bulbs you have work just fine. There there was a thing on the internet about those curly Q fluorescent bulbs. Oh, Those are horrible. Yeah. I, I really don't like them. And, and there are, there's at least some authority on the internet that says I'm justified in not liking them. I would rather have just the old-fashioned, what you call incandescent bulb.
0: Yes, but those are illegal now, kind of. Are they? Well, in some wattages.
1: Yeah. Um, I guess not illegal.
0: I I mean, not being sold. I don't think police are going to come arrest you if you have them.
1: So the thing, and then you go to buy the LED bulbs, and they're really expensive right now. I mean, they're. They're orders of magnitude more expensive than the traditional light bulb.
0: Yeah, because I've got a bunch of these. Ugh, I've got weird bulbs in my house. So almost all of my bulbs that are up in the up in the ceiling are these indoor floods, 65 watt indoor floods. Yeah. And Cree makes them, and so I can get a Cree or I can get a Phillips, but they're like 25 bucks a pop. And yeah. I've got, I mean, in my kitchen, I have nine of them
1: and they're supposed to last longer. Man, you got a big kitchen, Katie Floyd.
0: It's not that big. I have 6 and then I have 3 over a bar, but it's just like, ugh.
1: I have and 4. That in include that includes kitchen. an eating eating area. Yeah. All right. So, uh we've got the um so we've got this question, do you get an LED bulb at this point? And then of course, someone made it nerdy enough to to bring me in, and that was uh Phillips. With these Hue lights, so Philips has got a lighting system out, and the way they work is you get a bridge from them. It's kind of like a router for light bulbs, and it plugs into your Ethernet port, and and then it sends out a signal that these Philips lights can speak with, and and one bridge can control can control up to fifty bulbs. So you need a bridge, and then you need some of these Philips lights. Uh, the reason I like the Philips lights is because they're not just a standard LED. Which, in my opinion, look very blue.
0: Yes, yeah, I they're agree. very,
1: they're okay. Um, so, but with the Philips, you can actually change the colors and the lights, and it covers the whole spectrum of color. And uh, so, last year, I I talked about these on our show for like eight months, and I think Daisy felt sorry for me or something, and I, mm-hmm. I believe it was like last last Father's Day they bought me the starter kit. And so <laughs> that which is kind of sad commentary in itself that for Father's Day, I got light bulbs. But either way, it, the starter kit is 200 bucks and it comes with three of these light bulbs and a bridge. So I wanted to play with it. I'm a nerd. So I went ahead. I loved it. So I set it up and I happen to have three lamps in my bedroom slash office. And I've got these three set up in here and it's really, really great. These these light bulbs are really nice. They um fully controllable with both the brightness and the color and it's got an app that comes with it and you can set all sorts of interesting color spectrum so for instance i could take a picture of of anything like i've got a picture of a forest in my philips app and i can just drag each individual light bulb icon over individual pixels of color in that picture and then that light bulb will adjust to that color so i've got a picture of a forest with a lady in blue jeans and a forest. It's one of the stock ones that comes in the Philips app. So I've got a, a mixture of green and blue light, which I can put. And once I set that up, I can save it as a preference. And then when I touch that button, the room will light up and the individual lights will take on those colors, which sounds kind of geeky and fun, but how useful is it? Well, they also have these things called light recipes and you know, there's different spectrum of light and white is not, just white. I mean, there's kind of the bluish, um, colder light, which is, I guess, more often associated with kind of the morning and early sunlight. And then in the evening, it's kind of a warmer light. And so I can set up these individual recipes. So depending on the time of day, the color and hue of the light changes. And I find it really useful. Um, I'm really into. Trying to, towards the end of the day, kind of get myself ready to go to sleep. In fact, I was driving home uh, yesterday and listened to the most recent Back to Work episode, I haven't wrote it down, 156. Uh, where Merlin and Dan talk about going to sleep and all the rituals they go to to kind of get themselves, you know, calm down enough at night to go to sleep. Well, I think this is part of that is getting the correct lighting, and Philips gives me the ability to do that. I've really enjoyed these lights, and and they've got more now. As the product has become more successful, Philips has expanded on it. They've got the standard bulb lights, which is what I got in the starter kit, which will screw into any light, you know, any um, lamp, in essence. Uh, They also have what they call the bloom lights, which is an independently sitting lamp, which you can use to, like, accent a wall or backlight a person. I mean, you could use it for all sorts of things like that. They have strip lights that you can, like, run under a cabinet or you know, under an entertainment system. And all of these are controllable the same way you can control those bulb lights. So you can set colors in a room with all these different elements. And most recently, I was thinking about it, looking in at my kitchen. And I was thinking, boy, it would really be nice if I could put some of those Phillips lights in here. But I have those big cans in the ceiling. Mm -hmm. I have four of them. And I said, boy, they should make can lights. And just for giggles, I looked it up on Amazon. And guess what?
0: Oh, they do. Uh,
1: they do. They have, and this is the part that may suck you and Katie Floyd. If you've got those same ones, they have the BR 30, which is a smaller size and the BR 40, which I believe is the bigger size. And it's a 60 watt and a 75 watt bulb. And so we got some of those for our kitchen and we've been having a lot of fun with that, you know, setting the lights to the same color as the kitchen. And also like in the evening, having the warmer lights in the daytime, having the, the brighter lights, um, they are definitely brighter than the halogen cam lights we had there before, if you pull it up to full, you know, intensity. Um, and it's really nice. I, I could see us expanding because we have some other can lights in other parts of our house. And I could see us expanding to that at some point. Um, I read an article that said they don't work well with dimmer switches. So right. the other can lights we have are on a dimmer switch, so I'd have to switch the switch out. So I might just wait till Macworld and have you come down and do it for me.
0: I I can do that. Yeah. It's not, not yeah. hard. You,
1: you get the no neutral problem. the ground.
0: Mm-hmm. And we'll put them on a, a Wemo so, if you want. It'd be fun.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. Hook them up to a, um, a Wemo sensor. And that's what I was going to say earlier. I've got the Wemo sensor now pointing at the kitchen lights. So when you walk in the house, in addition to the Wemo switch going off, the kitchen lights come up.
0: Oh, because you got that connected through if this than that
1: exactly because mm. the, the Philips also connect through if this then that and there's actually a lot of things you can do with the Philips through if this then that recipes you can have it blink the lights you can you, know, you can do all these weird things so if you want to know when someone likes you on Facebook you want your house to blink off and on or change color or whatever that's you could exactly go really like crazy with this stuff yeah. so so that's that's why I feel like if I lived alone I I probably wouldn't go out anymore I'd just spend all of my time automating stuff like this <laughs> <laughs> it'd be a complete loss. Um, yeah. so go ahead.
0: I, well, it just, it seems so expensive and
1: it is. Yeah, totally.
0: I, I understand paying for light bulbs that are a higher quality and light bulbs that are more energy efficient and light bulbs that will last longer. And ultimately it's more value for your money. And if, and if the math truly works out on that, because I don't think they have on the, at least the, inc- the um, what are the spirally ones? C- uh, compact CFLs. Compact CFLs yeah. that I have bought have been just garbage, and they have died, and they've been flickering, and they've been horrible. And I have not been happy, and I will never buy another compact CFL. I just, I hate them. And yeah. if, 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 if you can show me and prove to me that the math works out, that, then I can get behind the cost justification of a a $10 light bulb or even a 15 or a $20 light bulb. But when you get into something like the Philips Hue, and you get into a light bulb that's not only an LED light bulb, so it's a more expensive light bulb to begin with, but now it's got Wi-Fi in it, and now it's got all of this other technology. I don't know that I need to spend a hundred bucks on a light bulb, and I don't know that I need a light bulb that need, is going to change colors on me.
1: Well, the, well, the light bulbs are not a hundred bucks, but they're not far off. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the individual bulbs cost. I think, I think the, um, I think the can lights were. I think on Amazon, I got them like 60, but that's a lot of money for a light bulb, but it's supposed to last a long time. I guess I'll find out, but you know where you were saying earlier that you're interested in the, um, the fancy smoke alarm.
0: Yeah. I
1: see. Uh, I have no interest in that. To me, a $12 smoke alarm is just fine. But but these these Philips lights, we have really. I feel like I've got my money's out of them, money's worth out of them. Assuming they don't just burn out in two months. But if I do get two or three years out of them, um, I like the ability to change the temperature of light um, when I go to bed and read at night. I have a different temperature. I use. I kind of just kind of slow myself into getting to sleep, and it helps for that. Uh, you know, having being in the house with my kids and having, because there's apps for this stuff, you know, not only is there the Philips app on your iPhone, there's a whole bunch of independent app developers, both on the Mac and iOS, making apps for this stuff. So we can play music and the lights in the house, you know, it turns into like a disco. The lights adjust color based on the music. And so we're like dancing around our house and the lights are going off. We have so much fun. I mean, these are, uh, these are interesting, uh, nerdy little toys, <laughs> I don't think you have to go out and buy them right away, but if you want to have some fun, you will.
0: Well, Belkin has some um, light bulbs coming out that are LED light bulbs that, I, from what I've seen, because they were just announced at CES, they're in the Wemo line, and they've got a couple other things coming out in the Wemo line, that don't do all the fancy light-changing stuff that the Philips do, but yeah. so I think they'll be a little bit less expensive, and they also connect into the Wemo stuff. So I, I may look at something like that. I don't know, or maybe if yeah. Philips would just come out with a more basic bulb that maybe didn't change colors and everything. I don't, I don't even my well, change the colors up in here.
1: I definitely do. I need lots of color change. Yeah, uh, it's it's fun. It's mood lighting. Uh, the things I don't like about the Philips, uh, the app still needs work. Um, like for instance, I've got the app on my iPad and my iPhone, but. They don't talk to each other. There's no way to save my light recipes. So I have to recreate them on each device. And then, of course, my wife has to create them and my kids have to create them. So we don't, you know, I think I'd like it better if you could sync that stuff across. And in terms of general reliability, I've had no problems. One time I had it disconnect my phone from the service, and I'm not sure why. To reconnect it, you open the app and then you push a button on the bridge, and then it resyncs. But I don't know why that happened. The biggest down against them is is the expense. They're just very expensive.
0: Yeah. Well, I wanna talk a little bit about tying this all together, because it seems like the home automation system is is still a little bit staggered. And you've got some of this over here and some of this over here. But before we talk about tying this all together and, and closing out, I want to talk about our last sponsor for this episode. And that is our good friends over at Squarespace. And Squarespace gives you everything that you need to create a beautiful website um, with really out without a whole lot of hassle and without a whole lot of effort to it. You know, Squarespace starts you off with a template and they've got gorgeous templates that are designed by the most brilliant designers. And so you can pick a template for your various sites and uh, pick one that works, whether you want a blog, whether you want a portfolio, whether you want an e-commerce site, they've got a couple of templates that are designed for, for different types of sites. You're sure to find one that you like And then you start tweaking and then you start customizing. And, you know, maybe I want this kind of color for my site. And maybe I want this kind of font for my site because Squarespace has beautiful fonts that they allow you to use. Maybe I want no sidebar. Maybe I want the sidebar on the left. Maybe I want the sidebar on the right. And maybe I want my navigation to be at the top of the site. And maybe I want it to be over in the sidebar. And maybe I want no navigation. And very quickly, by just switching buttons on and off and levers and sliding things here and there, you can completely customize within really just a few minutes and however long you want to spend tinkering this site to your design. Uh, If you know HTML and if you know some CSS and you want to dig a little bit deeper and you want to customize the site even further, Go for it. You can get in as as advanced as you want with the various Squarespace sites. Um, Today, it's very important that you have sites that work well on iOS devices, on mobile devices. And with Squarespace, you do. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to separately design and separately code something that's going to look good on an iPhone. All of the Squarespace templates that they have are going to look great for you on iOS. And they are continuing to roll out new features. So for example, Squarespace rolled out Even on their lowest tier plans, some very basic commerce features. So if you've got a blog or if you're running a site for an organization, you can now accept donations on your website, even by keeping with the lowest level plan. If you've got their mid-level plan, you can sell a couple of SKUs worth of items on, on Squarespace. Or if you decide that you want to open up a shop, you can upgrade to the full Squarespace commerce and you can sell anything you want and they'll help you take care of the shipping and the taxes and all of that other kind of stuff. Uh, and it integrates with Stripe, so they'll take care of your credit cards processing. Um, and it is just beautiful. So if you want to start spending some time focusing on your content without focusing on being IT support for your website, check out Squarespace. They've got plans that start as low as $8 a month. Uh, you can get a two-week free trial, so you can import the stuff from your own site and start building. And if you want to save even more, uh, tell them that we sent you. Use the coupon code MPU2, uh, and you'll save even more. And for sites that you register for, if you uh, sign up for a year, you'll even get a free domain name. So check them out at Squarespace.com, and thanks to Squarespace for their continued support of Mac Power users. All right, so my my issue with some of this automation stuff is that it seems very fragmented. And it's, although it's getting a lot less expensive, it, it still can be expensive. You know, when you're spending hundreds of dollars on light bulbs or hundreds of dollars on Wemos and things yeah, like that. Think? Yeah, okay, it's, it's, it's an expensive hobby. I mean, it's not it's not tens of thousands of dollars like it used to. Um, but it definitely yeah. can be hundreds if not thousands of dollars by the by the time you get up there. And if this than that has really helped a lot of these things communicate but it seems like there wasn't really a protocol, and we're starting to see out of CES particularly, I saw two products that were really interesting to me, and one was the revolve hub and the other was the smart things hub. and these are two competing devices that are designed to integrate all of these various devices from different vendors and the revolve hub I think has um, I think four active with with plans for future Expansion sensors in it, so it will communicate via Wi-Fi. It will communicate via Z-Wave. It will communicate by Bluetooth. It will communicate by all these other protocols that I don't know about um, or understand yet. So it can control things. It can control your WeMo. It can control your Sonos. It can control your Nest. It can control uh, your your door lock that operates on Z-Wave. It can control. You know, they've just got a huge slew of products that they integrate with uh, that can control your Philips Hue lights that will control from this single hub. So kind of how if this, then that helps you to some degree stack these things, it's still limited in that if this, then that is is still pretty simple, where if this happens, then that happens. You can't stack multiple rules. Whereas with, with the Revolve, from what I understand, you can set up profiles to say, okay, well, when I get home, I want you to do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. And if this happens, do this. And kind of kick off a whole whole profile, so that I don't know. Have you had a chance to look at the Revolve at all or see any of the demos?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. And one of the problems that I face is, you know, once again, I live with other people, and and they're kind of nerdy, but not nearly as nerdy as I am. So they're like, okay, so what app do I need to open to turn this light on? (laughs) You know, and
0: uh, there's a switch on the the wall.
1: yeah, well, there is, and these things are usually pretty good about it. But just in general, like if you want to control the kitchen lights, you need the Philips app, and if you want to control, you know, the the light in the other room, you need the Wemo app, and so it, all of a sudden, the stuff gets really disjointed. And while all these things work fine. Uh, when you start spreading it out across different manufacturers, it it does become a problem. And I thought one of the advantages of the Revolve is, you know, it puts everything in one place. So you can get to the Sonos or get to every light in the house that's automated with one app. And I think that has a benefit.
0: Yeah, I actually put a folder on my home screen of my of my iPhone, and I hate having folders on the home screen, but I finally had to break down and do it. And I called it Home. And inside the Home folder, I have the Nest app, the Apple Remote app, the WeMo app, the Dropcam app, the D-Link app, because I have a D-Link camera. I mean, it just goes on and on.
1: Yeah, I've been uh, toying with the new Launch Center Pro with the idea of putting all those in there, but uh, Launch Center Pro doesn't see all of those apps, so I may ultimately have to do it as a folder as well.
0: So that's the Revolve, and I think it's it's very interesting in what it does. Um, and then there's also a competing product from a company called SmartThings that has their own hub and their own line of devices. And they also integrate with other devices. So they'll also integrate with the Wemo devices, and they'll also integrate uh, with some specific door locks. It, it seems like they have a few more limited in their partnerships, and, and SmartThings definitely wants you to buy their products. Um, yeah. But you buy the SmartThings hub – and then you can also you can either get a package from Amazon where they've prepackaged uh a few things, or you can kind of buy a la carte and you can say, "Okay well, I want to buy a motion sensor or i want to buy a plug or i want to buy a a a water sensor or any of these various things that they'll that they'll do or i want to buy a door lock and you can a la carte add them on." With the idea of integrating all these things into the smart things home, and I think Walt Mossberg just did a review of the smart things for, for Recode, and I think that's interesting too. I, I mean, I don't know which is the better way to go. Smart Things seems to want you to buy mo- mainly their products, although they will integrate with others. Whereas Revolve tends to say, buy your hub from us, and we'll work with as many things as we possibly can.
1: Yeah, it's really early days, and there's competing platforms.
0: Yeah, I, but I think first and foremost, you have to figure out what it is you want to do. Yeah. And kind of map out, you know, map out the plan for your automated house and figure out what problem am I trying to solve, and, and what is it that I want to do with this technology, and see what fits the well, best.
1: I've just kind of stumbled my way along as products have come out that I thought were interesting, and and I don't have a central device to control them all, but... Uh, Granted, I have to use a few different apps. It's it's working pretty good. And If This Then That is really amazing for this kind of stuff. If you want to start playing with it, you can make a lot happen. Like If This Then That's phone app has location aware uh, hooks built into it. So your phone through If This Then That can turn on lights and things when you get home, even if you don't have a sensor sitting in your garage. Yeah.
0: Well, we're coming up on our magical hour and a half mark, but I do want to take um, a few minutes and talk quickly about home security, because that was a big topic on MPU 150 that we've gotten a lot of feedback on. And you've got a links to a few things that are interesting and I, and I'm using a few things. So tell me a little bit about, um, automation and home security.
1: Well, I, have never done any of it. Um, we, you know, we have an alarm system in our house, but it's one where I pay a monthly fee. Uh, but the, uh, but just recently, I got in on a—I believe it was a, a Kickstarter project. It was called the Canary. Have you heard about this device?
0: I only went to it when you put it in the show notes, and it looks very interesting.
1: Yeah, it was—it was—it wasn't that expensive. I think it was a hundred bucks, and um, and well, they're now—they're
0: now twice that. By the way, it's now two hundred. get they? in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it was early days. I got in early. Someone sent me a link and said, this is going to be really great. And it's a uh, home security sensor that works through your Wi-Fi. But it's also got a vibration detector, sound detector. I think it's got a barometer in there. It's got a whole bunch of sensors in there. But it gives you the ability to just see what's going on in your house. I don't really feel like I want to have this thing on all the time. I haven't got it yet. They're still building them. You know, that's one of the, the downsides of funding one of these projects early. You have to wait a while, um, but it, it, it'll track the humidity in your house. But I, I thought it would be fun to have it. Like when we go out and we're away for a few days, just to have a camera that I can check on the house with.
0: Yeah. I did. I, I did that a little bit with the drop cam that I installed here. Mm-hmm. And I found that was kind of, it, it changed the way you thought about things. Just having a camera in your house. Does that? Yeah. I, yeah.
1: I don't have any pets. I know people with pets would really like them, but I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. But I, I'm in. I bought one, so I'll report back once they ship.
0: Yeah, um, I've got the drop cam. I'm still playing with that. I, I reviewed it on on my site. I'll tell you right now, the default configuration for the drop cam right now for me is off just always off. And it's one of those things that I turn on if I want to look at something and then I turn it off again. And, um, just because I found that I was a little freak, you know, I put it in a public play. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. Anyway. Um, the other thing that I've done and you could call this home security or whatnot, but I wrote this up on the website is I set up a, I had an, not an incident, nothing happened, but I had a thing at work the other day where I had to go to appointment and I walked away from my computer and we've been having renovations done in the office and I realized, huh, we've got workers in the office. I probably should have locked my computer screen. And I almost, you know, I've got a hot corner set up and I've got Hazel, and I'm sorry, I've got Alfred set up so that I could automatically lock my computer. But for whatever reason, I didn't. And my computer's set to auto go to a screensaver after five minutes. So at worst case scenario, it was only open five minutes. But I just thought, Wouldn't it be great if I could automatically lock my computer whenever I left the area? And I noodled on that for a little while. And I came up with a solution of using If This Then That and the new location-based feature in their iOS app, because, of course, my iPhone is always with me. Um, and triggering an action to put a file in my Dropbox when I got out of a specific location, and then that file would then kick off a Hazel rule to either sleep my computer or to start up my screensaver, which would then trigger a password. And that's worked pretty well. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. So just to go through the steps again, uh, you trigger the rule by leaving. So if this, then that will send, is it sending an email or is it just change, adding a text file?
0: If this, then that is adding a text file to my Dropbox.
1: Okay, and then so then Hazel's looking for that Dropbox file to come into existence, which then fires off. Is it an Apple script?
0: It's an Apple script, yes. Yeah. Hazel then file uh, deletes the file and, and fires off an Apple script. Yeah to turn on the I screen. Think, I
1: think I wrote about that at some point over at Max Barkey too.
0: You, you wrote about it cause I actually stole your script. Thank you. Yeah. Are you still part Again. of I part of your script? I made it better though. Um, no, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> you probably did. I, um,
0: you, <laughs> that wouldn't be hard. You, you <laughs> talked about it, about how you use it to launch something with drafts. Yeah. To put your computer to sleep or something like that. And I, in fact, yeah, I, I, I have it. A- yeah.
1: I have a draft script that does essentially the same thing. Yeah. I didn't use if this, then that, but I, so I can manually go through and do it. I didn't automate the process.
0: Yeah. I automated it because if I don't automate it, I don't do it.
1: Okay. Well, Katie, there you go. There's some everyday automation.
0: Well, this has been a fun episode. I've been looking forward to this one for a while and uh, it's fun because we also kind of launched a new show at the beginning. I've been excited about that for a while too. And we finally did it.
1: If you got some cool automation stuff, send it in. Maybe we'll include it on the first MPU live on March 1.
0: Yeah, March 1 at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, live on 5 by 5 Send in your questions, tips, feedback, audio comments to feedback at com, and we'll try to include them as part of the show.
1: One of the best things about this live show will be the ability to get through some of the feedback, Um, maybe with even more interactive elements than we, we have in the past. I feel like we've been letting down listeners who have some great ideas that we just never get to.
0: Yeah. And I will tell you um, sponsors, by the way, we just opened up more sponsorship spots. We've been sold out for a long time. And so we just opened some up. So if you're interested, get in touch, but, uh, that's enough for that. If you want to find links to everything that we talked about in this episode of the show, you can find those show notes lovingly crafted by our good buddy Hay filling in for JT um, at 5by5.tv slash MPU slash 176 for this episode or at our website at macpowerusers.com. You
1: can also send us email um, to feedback at MacPowerUsers or find us on Twitter. We are at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd and I'm at Sparky.
0: All right. We'll be back next week with another show. We'll see you then.